Right, this um, topic today is about I am with you. And I'm, I wonder to start us off, um, if you could just think, you don't need to talk to anyone, but just think, what difference does it make to your life having God in it? If you are asked that question by somebody who maybe doesn't yet have a relationship with God, what would you say? What actual difference does it make to your day? Okay, I want you to think about that as we go through. Because as someone who follows Jesus, I really want other people to follow him too. I'm excited about the difference that Jesus makes. And so the conversations that I have with people are generally um, about church or life or meaning or significance. (laughs) But I'm aware that, I'll just play with this a bit. As I speak to them, Jesus is calling me to be a witness. That's what we're asked to be, isn't it? When Jesus says to his disciples, go, he says, go and be my witnesses. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking, well, if you're a witness, you give evidence, don't you, of what you've seen or you've heard, okay? That's what Jesus is asking us to give for him. Give witness to what you've seen him do, what you've heard him do, the difference that he's actually made. And I've got to say, I've got to be honest, I fail a lot in this area. I am very happy to talk about general stuff, but when it comes to a little bit more personal about what Jesus has done for me this week, uh, that's where I start to struggle a little bit. I might want to talk about something a little bit more general. And as a church, I've got to say, we're not always that great at witnessing even to each other, are we? I mean, I wonder how many people at coffee said, hey, how's it going with Jesus? What's happened this week? Anyone do that? Okay. (laughs) Did anyone say, hey, I just want to tell you how good God has been to me this week? You see, we're not that great at it, are we? We we are told to be witnesses of Jesus, to witness to what we've seen him do or we've heard him do, the difference that he actually makes in our lives. I'm with you. But I guess we just need to practice. I know myself, in the coffee time, just to reassure you, I didn't do any of that either, okay? But that is what Jesus is asking us to do. And as a nation, I've noticed that we're far better at talking about what's wrong than what's right. There's a book you can read called Watching the English. Um, um, That's right, isn't it? Watching the English. I think Mary's got it as well. And there's a bit in there about the English people that the only time they talk to each other is if something has gone wrong. So if they're at a bus stop, for example, when the bus doesn't come, then we can talk. Ah, oh, the bus hasn't come. It's awful, isn't it? The bus never comes. It's so rubbish. Isn't it? But if the bus comes, nothing. No one says, hey, isn't it great the bus has come? No, we're not interested. And sometimes we can be a bit like that with Jesus, can't we? We're a bit maybe shy about saying what Jesus has done in our lives. We've had a great week. Maybe we did have a good conversation. Maybe God did come through to us. But it's much easier to say what didn't happen that week. Okay, what has gone wrong? 
And in Ezra, we read about some people who, right from the start, they set off and they were really fired up for Jesus, weren't they? they do you remember they all left Babylon and they went, they left their homes, their jobs, and they set off to um, a pile of rubble in the middle of nowhere with a load of bandits and people that didn't want them. And at the beginning, real big things happened for them. God answered their prayers. Uh, the prophecies were fulfilled. They laid the foundations. They were just going, this is amazing. And it can be a bit like that, can't it? When we first come to faith, we want to tell people, this is amazing. Guess what happened to me? I've met Jesus. It's transformed my life. It's turned it upside down. This is what he did. And I went to this place and I met the spirit and I felt it all over me. And then this person said this or prophesied. That's how it is. And then life kind of sets in a bit. And I guess for our people of God here in Ezra, life has set it set in for them. The other people surrounding them didn't want them there. And this is a bit like us telling our family, hey, I became a Christian. And they're like, and? And you're like, this happened. And they're like, look, I just don't want you to actually talk about this in our house. And that's the kind of feeling that these guys have got. They've gone to this place and the surrounding people are like, we don't really want to know how we should worship God. We've been worshiping fine without you, actually. And no, I don't want to hear about your God because I've already got my own. So quite frankly, we don't want you here. And they made things really difficult. It wasn't just about hostility, them not liking them, but they took it one step further. They wrote to the king and they basically made it illegal for them to do what God had asked them to do, which was to build the temple. They had basically put enough red tape in there that there was no way that these guys were going to be able to finish the project that they had excitedly set out to do. And so the church there was tamed. And um, I guess when a church gets tamed, uh, we probably do the same sort of thing. We get wrapped up in DIY. That's why this country B&Q is so big, because we love doing DIY. They start uh, wallpapering their houses, getting a nice bit of a garden going. And that's where their focus and their energy starts off. Uh, starts going. And they kind of worship God every week, but the temple's not there. But it's okay. And they're worshipping and they're doing this. But they're not doing what God has actually asked them to do. That's key, isn't it? He's asked them to build this temple and they're not doing it. They're just wallpapering. And yes, they're discouraged. And yes, they're apparently beaten. And apparently their hands are tied and they can't do anything. So they settle for a quiet life. Until Haggai comes. Okay, now I don't know if you ever read the book of Haggai. It's hard to find. We're going to have a go at finding it now. So if you would, um, I want you to find two books actually, so this could take some time. I want you to find Ezra chapter 5 and put something in there. And I want you to find Haggai chapter 1 and put something in there. So there's Bibles on the end if you want to get one. If you don't want that's fine, you can listen. But I'm not bringing up anything on the screen, so... You'll have to go back to paper today. So you'll need Ezra and you'll need Haggai. And as soon as John Ayrton's got them, because he's obviously the pastor, he'll get them first. He'll give us the numbers. Have you got, you've not got the right book though, have you? 478. 
And Haggai is 948. Oh, that's quite good. 948 for Haggai. I'm going to start by reading from Ezra. So that's the first one you need. But keep a little finger in Haggai because we're going to come to him in a minute. And um, we're going to read Ezra, we're going to read chapter 5, and we're just going to read verse 1 and 2. Okay, we're going to do a little bit of a recap of what John did, but it's a few weeks ago, so kind of overlaps a bit. So Ezra 1 and 2 says, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, son of Jozadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, remember, they have stopped because they've been discouraged. There is nothing they're allowed to do. It is illegal to build. But when Haggai starts talking, and Zechariah, we're going to hear about him in a few weeks' time, what do they do straight away? They set to work to rebuild the house of God. What can Haggai have said? He must have said something pretty amazing, hey? He must have said something like, oh, don't worry about it, guys. This is going to be fine. Thus says the Lord. I'm going to change this and do this, and it's all going to be fine. And off you go, guys. Well, let's read what he actually said. So you'll need Haggai now, chapter 1. And um, we're going to read verse 4 to 6. And this is what God said through Haggai to them. He says, Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, he's not gentle with them, is he, when he speaks to them at first? He's straight to the point of what is wrong. Guys, this isn't working. You're not doing what I've asked you to do. And as a result of that, your life's not that fulfilling. You're working, but you never have enough money. Your bank statement's always in the red every month. It's not working for you. You don't feel fulfilled. Whatever clothes you buy, you're just thinking, "Mm, I don't really like them anymore. I'd quite like to go and buy some more. There's that sense of dissatisfaction, and things aren't really working out for them. So what do they do? What do they do? Well, Haggai, chapter 1. We go to that. And verse 12 tells us what they did. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jozak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. I think that's really important, isn't it? The fact, those words, and the people feared the Lord. It was a turning point, wasn't it? God had really laid it on the line for them. Look, this is what's going on. You're not doing what I've asked you to do. And they fear the Lord. If you think about what they were up against, the king has made it illegal for them to build. The people around them don't want them there. 
They are harassing them. If you read other things about what they get up to in Nehemiah and things like that, they really, really do not want them there. But whatever opposition they face, they are reminded here that there is a person that they really should be fearing. And that is the Lord. He's a whole nother story, isn't he? He's much, much bigger than anything that they are up against. And they fear him. And so they, re- they obey. They repent straight away. They do what God's called them to do again. And it says in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 13, the following. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. And I think it's really interesting, isn't it? In our lives, we can go way off path. I know um, earlier, there's been a number of different times in my life when I've been completely off path when things, I've looked to other things other than God to fulfill my needs. And I was trying to think of just one thing. And um, there were so many. Because we do. We mess up all the time. We end up going down a different um, different path. But I was thinking one of the most powerful experiences I had was after um, I'd been with this guy who didn't follow Jesus. In fact, he wasn't just didn't follow Jesus. He wasn't interested in Jesus at all, never was going to be, never thought about going it, was not interested, full stop. And yet my whole time I was with him, I pushed feelings of guilt or anxiety away. I didn't want to face up to that at all. I kept pushing it down. I put all my hopes in him that he was going to be my future, that he was going to be the thing that was going to rescue me, that we were going to build a life together. I didn't need God because I didn't need a future with God. I needed a future with this guy because he was amazing and he was everything that I wanted and we were going to have this great time together. But of course, he wasn't all those things. Human beings let us down, don't they? And he eventually ran off with someone else and that was the end of that. And I remember being broken at that point and um, just before God saying, that is it, God. I know that I've done wrong. I know that I shouldn't have done that. Even though you warned me and you told me and others told me and I disobeyed you continually, I am sorry, God. I am so sorry. And at that point, I said to God, God, my life is not my own. It is yours. I wasn't going to, from that point, compromise anymore. My life was his. I think about that verse that says, your life was bought at a price. And I really thought of that and I thought, yeah, my life's not mine. My life's God's now and I have to do what he wants me to do. And it was at that point that I felt the most amazing presence of God. That was the turning point. That was the point when not, it wasn't just a mild thing. This was a a warm love that filled me from my toes to my head and the amazing presence of God saying, I am with you. It's amazing, isn't it, that no matter what we've done, however much we've rebelled against God, however much we pushed him aside and we pushed down those feelings of guilt that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing, when we come to God and we repent, he says, I am 
am with you. And he demonstrates that either through his word or through prophecy or through his physical presence with you. And here we've got people that felt the presence of God. God said, I am with you. They'd repented of where they'd been going. They turned around. They started doing what they should have been doing. And God said, I am with you. I was thinking about other places in the Bible where God also says, I am with you. And um, obviously, first person I thought of was Moses. And if you remember Moses, when God was asking him to go back to Egypt, he didn't want to go. In fact, he tried every different thing, didn't he? Saying, I can't speak, I'm rubbish, couldn't you send somebody else? He really didn't want to go. And why didn't he want to go? Because he was facing a charge of murder when he went back. And more than that, if he went back, his people didn't want him anyway. So God was saying, I want you to go back. I want you to speak to this guy that wants to kill you. And I also want you to lead a people who hate you. No wonder he didn't want to go, did he? But God said to Moses, I am with you. And we all know what happens after that, don't we? Pharaoh didn't kill him. The people start to trust him, followed him. God did amazing wonders and miracles. And the second person, Joshua, remember him, when he was facing, when God said to him, I am with you, well, what was he facing? He was facing Jericho. And he said, be strong and courageous because I am with you. And he was facing a completely impregnable city, a city really strong, where the reports had said they were giants. And yet God said to him, I am with you. And when he went, what did they do? They marched around and God did an amazing miracle and the walls fell down. Those are the times that they're told, I am with you. And in Ezra, we read what happens when the Israelites were willing to obey. Despite the giants of opposition in front of them, they were willing to trust God and let him fight for them. Let's look back at Ezra for a bit. The first thing that happens as they trust and they walk with God and he says, I am with you, is this. Who authorized you to rebuild this temple and finish it? They also asked, what are the names of those who are constructing this building? Who authorized this and what are your names? Can you imagine them? They're there now, absolutely wetting themselves. I mean, come on, they this is what's going to happen. This governor's come to them and says, who are you? Why are you building? And what are your names? And at this point, they've got to have been thinking, I'm just going to give a false name. (laughs) I'm just going to nip off the back now. I wasn't with them. They were just doing their own thing. But no, what happens? Let's look at verse 11, because here this guy gives an account of what they said to him. So verse 11 in chapter 5. This is the answer they gave us. We're the servants of God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, one that a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldean, king of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. Babylon. 
However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. He even removed from the temple of Babylon the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to the temple in Babylon. Then King Cyrus gave them to a man named Sheshabazah, who he had appointed governor, and he told him, take these articles and go and deposit them in the temple in Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God on this on its site. So Sheshabazah came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem. From that day to the present, it's been under construction, but it's not finished. I think what strikes me is that they are so honest in their answer. They don't try and just get around it, but they're really honest about where God is in this whole thing, isn't it? Isn't that interesting that they want the whole time to show that the reason the temple is broken is because of them and not because, you know, their God is mean, but because they sinned against him. They're really honest in saying, we made a mess of it. We have made a mess. And they're really honest in that. They're unashamed about their sin that they've done. And they're unashamed about how God has given them a new start. And all the time these legal proceedings are going on because it carries on and it goes to and forth, they carry on doing what they're told to do because it says God was with them and his eye was on them. And when we're doing what God's asked us to do, he enables us to keep going even when opposition is all around us. I was thinking about what happened to the early apostles when they were asked by Jesus to go and be his witnesses. Well, it wasn't easy, was it? They had massive opposition, but despite the opposition, they were still able to keep doing what God had called them to do. When they were in prison, they told people about Jesus. When they came out of prison, they told people about Jesus. When they were stoned, they told people about Jesus. When people died, they told people about Jesus. When they were killed, they told people about Jesus. They were able to do what God had asked them to do. And then I was thinking about the church in China and about how they were banned from speaking about Jesus. It became illegal to do what God had asked them to do. But a real turning point for them, wasn't it, was when they decided to act on a much higher power. They decided to act as if it wasn't illegal to tell people about Jesus. And when they ended up in prison, they told people about Jesus. And when they were beaten, they told people about Jesus. And when some of them were murdered, they told people about Jesus and people came to faith. I wonder, like in the UK here, it's not illegal, is it, to tell people about Jesus? We're not going to be put in prison. But probably, culturally, it's not that great. People don't really want to hear, or at least that's our perception, isn't it? I don't want to hear about your faith. Can you not talk about that here, please? Can you just keep it to yourself? 
But I wonder what it would be like if we took a similar approach to they did in China. We acted as if people wanted to hear about Jesus. How different would it be if we kind of had that attitude that it wasn't that people didn't want to hear, but actually people wanted to hear. Now, I'm not saying that you should bash someone over the head who's clearly said, I don't want to hear about that here. That's fine. Okay, if they've said that in your family, then I don't think that you should keep going every day. Again, that's not going to be helpful. But I do think sometimes when we hear one person say, I don't want to hear, we can get discouraged in a similar way and kind of blanket everybody with, they don't want to hear about Jesus. None of these people want to hear about Jesus. And what if we had more of an attitude that actually generally people want to hear about Jesus? but this person is the exception. Do not think that we could have something different. In the Bible, um, Jesus gives us a promise, I am with you. And where does it come? Well, of course, it comes when he's leaving his disciples. He says, I'm with you. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, and surely I am with you. And elsewhere he says, go and be my witnesses. It's all about that, isn't it? It's attached to it. I am with you when you're doing what I've asked you to do. And that's not that Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not with you. We, we, when we come to faith, when we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us in an amazing way, doesn't it? And we know the presence. And when we worship, we can feel God. And uh, when we pray, we often meet with him. And when we read the word. But what I'm saying is, in a miraculous way, like we hear here in Ezra, I am with you is so much more powerful, isn't it? The I am with you is like nothing will stand in your path. You've got opposition that's not going to matter. You've got legal people telling you not to do it. It's not going to matter because I am with you. And that's the promise that we get with being my witnesses to telling people about Jesus, to say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Not bashing them over the head with the Bible, but just literally saying, hey, I just want to tell you, you know, oh, this happened this week. Oh, it was really good that God did that. It doesn't need to be a massive thing, does it? The fact that you've given God the glory for something that's happened in your life is being a witness to Jesus. The fact that you say, hey, our mortgage has come through and it's a really low rate and we were praying about that and we're really thankful to God. That's being a witness to Jesus, isn't it? Or, oh, our kid got into this school and we were praying about it for ages and we didn't want them to go to this school because we were concerned about their character. And um, isn't that great? Or, oh, it's really amazing the other day because this happened. Those are being witnesses, aren't they? That's I'm witnessing. And that's where Jesus says, I am with you. And perhaps like these Israelites, you know, you do get discouraged. It can be really discouraging when you're kind of trying to tell someone and they just don't want to know. They're either uninterested or they become hostile or they ban you from speaking about it in your family. But Jesus does very clearly say, I'm with you. And sometimes we can assume that nobody wants to know. I think if the Israelites had assumed that no king would ever want to know, they wouldn't have done anything. Artaxerxes didn't want to know, but Darius wanted to know. Okay, Let's look at what happened when God said, I am with you. We're going to look at chapter 6 now in Ezra. We're just going to look at a few bits. We're going to look at verse 8 
This is what um, Darius says. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do these things, these, uh, do for these elders of Jews in construction of the house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of Trans Euphrates, so that what, what, what work will, so that the work will not stop. And earlier we said. Um, Basically, Darius comes in, he says a whole bunch of things. He says, don't get in the way, give them all support. I want you to pay for what they do. I want you to provide all the cattle for their sacrifices. Basically, Darius is giving them a whole lot on a plate, and it's because they started to walk in the way that Jesus wanted them to walk. God was able to show them again that if they are obedient to him, he will provide a way. So I just want to end today by giving us a chance just to come before God and respond to him. Um, And I was thinking about, you know, where we might be at in our own hearts. I mean, I was thinking maybe firstly, we might be in that place where we feel quite fearful or we feel a bit of a failure like the Israelites did. They hadn't really achieved very much. Or you feel God really discouraged today well can I encourage you today to just bring that to God and allow him to say I am with you and the second thing remember the Israelites repented and maybe there is something in your life that you know that you're doing that you actually God doesn't want you to be doing and maybe you've been wrestling with it for some time but God is asking you today to come and lay that before him, to turn around and to do what he's asked you to do. And then the third thing, perhaps you're just feeling really distant from God. The kind of thoughts of I am with you seems impossible. And even the stuff I spoke of earlier, of the Holy Spirit being present, just seems a long, long way away. Well, we're going to sing some songs now. We're going to use this time as a time for us to just respond to God quietly in our hearts. And if you like prayer, you want to just pray with someone or confirm it with someone. If there's something that you need to repent of, it tells us to confess to one another. So maybe if you feel able to, you can tell someone about that and together you can stand and be accountable to one another. Or maybe you just want someone to pray for you today, to say, you know, I'm struggling to feel the spirit. I feel really distant from God. Would you pray for me today? Um, If you want to do that, there'll be a prayer team over here and um, I'll go over there to see.